Everybody test their mics. Hello. You can do that. We can do without you for about 20 minutes. <laughs> she said test it. Yep. Test oh. it. Yeah. Wait, we ready? You good, DJ? Devin? All right. All right. Here we go. Hello. What's the date? He's like Russell. Oh Simmons. man, yeah. Uh, September sixteenth. All right, Friday. Henry over at Archway. Friday this day. This is our twelfth podcast. I think we still only have two listeners. <laughs> I think, it, and it's not even my mother. I don't even think well, my you mother has started to listen yet. As we, depending on what platform you look, I actually see some like declining numbers in the middle. Like we had a lot of views early on. What? <laughs> And then it goes down. Now we're back on a little upswing again. So we're getting. But those two more. have to be the most informed people. <laughs> right. Yeah, they know. The planet. That's it. They know what's up. We yeah. have been telling things over here that no one will tell you ever. And the bottom line is, no one is listening to us. How's everybody's mm. day? Let's introduce ourselves in case we have a, a third listener that's come on board. I'm, <laughs> I'm Michelle Peterson, here over here at Archway in East Chattanooga. Uh, trying to uh, illustrate to kids marketing dynamics and uh, branding principles and uh, good business. And Carlos Hampton joined me last year. Uh, we started a, a couple of ventures together uh, in September of 2015. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Carlos is a battalion chief with the uh, uh, Chattanooga the Fire Department. Chattanooga Fire Chattanooga. Department. And we're trying to still figure out our microphone situation. We're trying to still figure out our, how are we doing this? Andy Sweet joined us uh, at the From Early podcast. He came on board with me, owned a business called Hub Endurance, uh, did a lot of things from an entrepreneurial standpoint uh, leading up to this point. So this is the best gig he's ever had, even though no one's listening. (laughs) Um, and then we have two, fun. I'll say that. And then four weeks ago, uh, shout out to Donna Christian Lowe at Main Street Innovations, paired up a female factor down at the cab house and introduced me to this just amazing human being, uh, Laquisha Ewing. And I thought that would be the the round out of the podcast if we invited her because she's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. Not yeah, to oversell to the bill. Yeah, don't don't oh, oversell. Oh, doctor. It. Yeah, well, she told me not to don't, call her a doctor. Yeah, last don't do time. that. Yeah, own I'm it. still. Hey, I own it. Like I'm on it. I'm, oh, trust me, I'm on it. I got I got the I got the bills. <laughs> I own it. Hey, own yeah. it. Own it. Own it. Hey, they own. just ain't relinquish their part. Yeah, it's, I'm hey. le- I'm still leasing that degree. I'm defending my dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I'm still I'm still leasing. <laughs> I can't so, own it yet. So we got a bunch of entrepreneurs here. We got you up. You good? We got Michelle Peterson, just serial entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. I own a Helm Elevator company. I just saw sold uh, my first million dollar piece of property today. Woo-hoo. All right. Congrats. Boom. Boom. Maybe people start listening all like, now. Like 15 they think minutes I'm before rich. we started recording. Like, What's that? In like 15 minutes. You know, we're having coffee 30 minutes ago. Just like going to sell my house. Coming to the podcast. I'm like, what? <laughs> Moving. Bang. The sad part about is I think I owed $1.2 million when I sold it. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I always like that. I was a millionaire by 29, sold my first business. But I'm always honest that I owed the IRS. I had a few bounce checks I had to make good for. So, I mean, I'm still trying to figure this game out. I'm not going to lie. So it was interesting when uh, Brian Copay at Title Guarantee, who just closed that property, looked at me and goes, what are you going to do with all that money? I said, I think I owe it out. I got to. I got to call Alice. <laughs> we Alice. give a shout out to Alice. Shout She's out the to Oracle. Alice. She was raised by the Oracle. You know, that's what we call my mother, Emily Peterson in Johnson City, Tennessee, via Irwin, Tennessee. 
Uh, so here's the deal. Carlos yep. Hampton is an entrepreneur, owns Two Wheels Towing. Tell us a little bit about Two Wheels Towing. Two Wheels Towing. I am. Uh, I consider myself to be a uh, motorcycle enthusiast, and um, got a buddy down in Atlanta who opened my eyes to a venture that was pretty good for Chattanooga. Um, I transport motorcycles, so if someone's on the side of the road or someone doesn't know how to ride a bike but they've bought one because it was pretty, if someone <laughs> has wrecked the bike, for whatever reason the bike's important, they need to get to point B, I'm the man for the job. And um, I have to say, uh, almost three years into it, and it's shown me a lot about myself, about the world of business, and uh, I've met some awesome people, seen some great bikes. Yeah. And Andy, tell us about the Ironman happening. You're a, you're a coach <laughs> as well, working on these Iron Yeah, men. so... Um, I've got two personal businesses, Empirical Athletics and AVT Performance, um, where really we focus on um, ultimately coaching endurance athletes, but uh, I really consider the coaching side a lot more than what I used to. You know, if I think back in my early athletic days, like coaches, the, the person yelling at you to work hard and do more and go out and hit the field or whatever, um, where coaching has taken me in the business world is more of a, a holistic approach where literally if I want to prepare some people for, well, as you mentioned in Chattanooga next weekend on Sunday, we have the Ironman triathlon. Um, you know, where participants will swim 2.4 miles in the river, ride 116 miles on their bike and then run a marathon 26.2 miles. Um, I can't just throw them some workouts and say, go do it. We work on, you know, the mental side, we work on the diet side and the sleep side and the recovery. And, uh, so I use a lot of my science background to program these athletes to be ready to perform for whatever their event is. Um, can you program me to quit eating pizza? Uh, at midnight? Now you're like, talking my language. Yes, I can. Can you reprogram me not to eat those hot chips? I How can. Many, uh, just before we go to LaQuisha Ewing's, uh, entrepreneurship and what she brings to the table, as far as where she's been as her uh, recovering educator. Tell us how many people the city of Chattanooga expects in uh, town next weekend. Because I know all my VRBOs are full. Um, yeah, tell us I how mean, many people the, the Ironman brings you know, in. The Ironman is a big, a big, big event for tourism and really beyond that. So we'll have 3,500 athletes racing. Wow. Um, but that usually brings in about 15,000 people. Uh, so spectators, families, right? It's wow. such a big event and, and kind of a life-changing event for so many people. They bring an entourage, literally. So from yeah. the commerce side, we're talking about what kind of impact? Millions. Yes, of course it's millions. And the Chattanooga, uh, is there a Man. Chattanooga Visitors Bureau yep. that gets CVB sales tax numbers Sports Commission, for what yep. we collect? So let's move uh, on to LaQuisha Ewing. Tell wow. us about your businesses and where you've been. and. Um, where I've been today? No. So, so I, I introduced myself as a uh, recovering uh, educator administrator. I worked for about 12 years in Hamilton County Department of Education, um, seven, well, eight almost, at the central office level working, you know, for the superintendent on district-wide uh, family engagement and community partnerships. Um, I also worked in nonprofit management, helped start up a new uh, advocacy organization, educational advocacy organization here in Chattanooga at the bequest of some of our uh, wonderful foundation heads. Uh, they kind of came and got me out of the school system to help work with the school system, right, ironically. Got to get um, out to help. Got to get out. Man, isn't that crazy? <laughs> but yeah, but I 
but I did that for a while. But I, too, am a serial entrepreneur. I'm co-owner of BizBoom Mobile Apps, which is a digital marketing firm. Uh, we specialize in mobile application bills, website bills, SEO, uh, digital marketing, and marketing strategy. So that's something that, uh, that my husband and I do thank God together. Um, he is a tech brain. I'm a business brain. And so we just make kind of the perfect, uh, perfect pair. And we also do real estate investing with homes for 10 K real estate investment. Um, like I said, I'm a, I'm about humanity. So I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur, but I'm really more of a social entrepreneur, um, social catalyst. So one of the things I just got back from Atlanta last night, um, I'm now a new member of what's called next level living. Um, we put together the grace tour. So go to YouTube, Google the grace tour, just got back from Bangalore, India, uh, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm an evangelist for the church of God in Christ. Um, and I believe wholeheartedly, uh, in the word of God, I believe in the son, the father and the Holy ghost. So you just got back from Bangalore and I just got back from Atlanta. The so, tour just got back from Bangalore. So what's I'm on that. So there's five executive members, uh, Jeremy Anderson, Tracy Anderson, um, myself. There's a, a young lady who actually uh, worked with Trent Shelton. Um, she was the director of, I don't know, you guys know Trent Shelton, football player. Um, but he has a movement that he started called Rehab, um, where he put out like all of these motivational videos. Um, but Jessica was the executive director for Rehab Organization. Um, so she's now on our team with Next Level Living. And then we have another uh, partner who does some social media marketing from Baltimore. Her name is Ebony. Um, so we are the core team for the, the the Next Level Living and Grace Tour is a part of what we do. We basically think of us as a flash mob of the gospel. We go all over the country, all around the world, popping out, you know, baptizing in the middle of parks, speaking to the homeless, feeding the homeless, raising our own funds um, to go out and meet people where they are um, and bring them the bread of life and living water. Our house, right? Well, what's interesting about uh, LaQuisha being at the table and how ironic uh, things can be is the first million-dollar house that I sold was to a first-generation immigrant family uh, from Bangalore. Wow. He is a doctor at Erlanger. Uh, shout out to Sush and Harsha uh, Shantha. Uh, Harsha uh, and Sush are two of the most amazing individuals and when uh darling brown at uh uh her company um god what's darling's uh, she's gonna kill me for not remembering this um i'll remember it here in a minute uh brought me the sale the house wasn't for sale and that they had such great energy um that i was like look I want them to have this house as much as they want the house. And so we we made a deal on the house. Uh, they bought it in 2012. And from that house, I bought six other houses, one of which I just sold an hour ago. It's business. And so the funny thing about how life goes is that uh, on an economic standpoint, and I think this is what you know, getting into the whole political arena of, of labeling yourself D or R, the reality is, is that we're trying to establish uh, this opportunity for people to make money over here at Archway. Give them the knowledge so that they, they can go back out better with street knowledge and, and understanding of things that educators, uh, that from a primary standpoint to a secondary standpoint, may not know about. Right. And so one of the things that happens when you start listening to Donald Trump or some of the other older white dudes in this country that's just so fascinating to me, the jingoism that is involved in it, is even when you look in my home elevator company, um, 
you know, you basically will see a good percentage of those people are first-year immigrants doing and having done business in Houston, Texas, or Dallas, Texas, or, um, you know, all over the country. I mean, we'll see people in St. Louis through Kentucky. I've got an Indian contingency in Kentucky of doctors that have bought home elevators for me uh, that you'll see in my CRM system. So it's just fascinating that you brought up Bangalore and the fact that there is a a ministry out there Mm -hmm. that is serving the need. I think that's something that uh, if you're not serving, uh, then you're uh, taking from the system. Correct. My personal acumen is I'm going to always try to serve. I, I think we need to expand on a conversation we had last week, uh, and maybe it might make some people awkward who uh, have absolute um, knowledge of the uh, Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But I have a hard time with the Father. And so I've been very candid that my belief in uh, something uh, as far as a a higher being is not typically designed with the word God because I have such a hard time with that that um, three letter word. I don't know why. Um, but it carries a lot of weight. It carries a lot of weight. So don't don't say God. Say love. There's definitely that. If we could just right, say so. So God is God is love, and this is not a Bible study podcast. But you know, um, I, I went back and listened. My some of my family in Memphis listen. Um, I, I I told them to like like it or something, so we know that they listen to it. Um, but but they listen. My mom was making jokes. Uh, that that let me know she didn't say hey i listened to the, that thing on your page she started making jokes about comments that we had um she she really honed in on the business's babies uh statement that i made and so uh <laughs> and so um or babies as business and so there there are people listening they may not you know i'm trying to get the people that i know that listen because i know eight people that listen like eight people, eight people that are they listen they didn't see. hit the like they didn't hit the like we should have saw the view though, but we they get the views. Yep. Yeah, we see, yeah. We so see they, you all listening. Yeah, so they listen, <laughs> but um, but I but I do think that you know there's a place for this conversation, um, for sure. And you know I believe what I believe. It's my driving force. It's who I am. Is what you know. When when I was young though, to be honest, when I was young, I grew up in a family of preachers and teachers, and I didn't want to do either, and landed in both, ironically, um, because. I do, in in a sense, believe in some form of divine providence and that you're, you know, you kind of go through this, this path. This is what people in your lineage has done. And that's what people in my lineage did. They were preachers and teachers, even those who didn't have the education. They were preachers and they were teachers. Um, And so I ran from both and landed in both. And um, and I had nothing. I didn't want anything to do with the the church. You know, there was a thing that we recited that called uh, was called the synopsis of what we believe. And it had a stanza that said that we believe that the Holy Bible is the only living, infallible word of God. And I was like, yeah, I don't believe that. (laughs) Like, I remember I I remember being a sophomore in college saying I don't believe that I was like infallible how can something written by man be infallible like without error right and so but 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 what happened was as i grew and i started to understand what that really meant it really wasn't that it was without error it was that i was saying that what god said is what god said and do i believe that and so i realized that i was reading it literally and it wasn't meant to be interpreted literally so do i believe that the holy bible is the word of god i do do i believe that god said other things in other places i do so i'll jump in here and be the devil's advocate i think the older you got the more fear you had and it was easier to believe Fear of what? I think just fear of failure. I mean, you took on a responsibility of 
uh, I mean, when you're in the process of educating yourself, I think there's a lot of opportunity that's still left. And as you begin to do and take that education, then you have to deal with certain expectations put around you. And many have to deal. And I had to do this, but luckily I got it early in life. How to cope with my failures were the most important thing to me because I see my other, uh, my other siblings, which I'm not... I can't speak to my sister Mandy. She's an educator, and we don't spend a lot of time with my brother and my uh, sister uh, Alice and Chris. We spend a lot of time about analysis paralysis, and they have this fear of failure that I don't have. It was interestingly enough, we were yeah, laughing about the credit card fear. being declined. I don't have a fear of my credit card being declined because my value is not found in that house selling. Correct. So I don't have a fear. I don't have a fear of failure, um, and definitely I didn't find my my religious foundation in the fear of failure. I'll, I'll definitely push. I believe, believe what I believe. The world, word of God is that holy Bible. I believe that the word of God, that the word of God rests in, in those words that are written on that page. The word of God is not the Bible. The word of God is just that the word of God. So yeah. that means, can I get the word of God? If you, if you sat here and wrote out things that God has said on a piece of paper, that's not in the Bible. But do I believe that God can set, can speak? Through to, to people through other people yes but that doesn't mean that it's in the bible but what i'm going to say to you is i believe that the things that are in the bible are the word of god i do believe that that doesn't mean that i believe that that's the only place that god can speak to people that's not what i'm saying but fear had nothing to do with it for for anyone who runs to religion out of fear that to me is not faith that to me is not really belief that's conditioning we I talked about that last controls time a lot of fear controls a lot of people it'll control me i but that's why i rejected what i was taught because that would have been a fear fact if i stayed in it and i didn't know why i was believing what i was believing that was because i was fearing rejection from my family or rejecting what i've been taught if i had to stay but as i got out i studied theology on all kinds of levels that's why i had so many questions i asked about the apocrypha i asked about the dead sea scriptures like i so nobody said anything for 400 years between matthew and malachi like nobody had a little tableau somewhere that they were chiseling out some stuff i asked those questions and what happens is a lot of people don't challenge that. And so you end up out of fear believing what you believe because you fear what you don't know. And there are other people that will make you feel rejected and outcast because they have no answer to your question. And so people stay in complacency. But I wasn't that. I understand who God is. I know who he is in my life. I know how, how he operates in my life. And I speak with that authority. I'm not, I'm not one to argue about what I believe. I believe that, you know what, everyone will come subject to whatever it is that they believe. Well, and I would really hate to get to the end and realize I believe the wrong thing. Well, and I, <clears throat> but I think that's a, it kind of mirrors in a little bit with Michelle's point that like you grew into that. You evolved into that belief. You didn't necessarily have it as a kid. So it says that it is somehow connected to our experience, our knowledge, whatever you want to group that into, morality, mortality, anything else is that that comes with time why do why do most kids not openly say yep you know we read bible stories every day i believe in 100 percent. i think you know this is it they haven't they're not seen or no they haven't learned they haven't had the experience so that goes They've back had religion like, not relationship <laughs> how do we say that in the bible that that has evolved with us and i think it's interpretation of story uh, 
to match what people need to hear to match into their experience, if that makes sense, right? Like, yeah. and that, that comes back to what I said. My big thing with the Bible in particular, and, and this bridges into business and everything else, is translation, right? It's like how, like, if we really, if you want to take the people who are very literal about the Bible, it's like, come on, go play telephone with your kindergarten class <laughs> And uh, tell me that that, that 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 has any real, like that the word is correct. The actual written word is is well. Is and if you can read it, unless you're reading uh, Hebrew, <laughs> yeah. Like literally, I mean, some of the word there are word. I probably have, I know I have twelve, but I may have more versions of yeah. the Bible. Oh, oh gosh, like yeah. I may have more. I may have. Because and when I study, I study. I go all the way back because what I realize is the way you translated it, there are words that existed in in, in the Hebrew culture that aren't even present. Like you're not you're you're at, and if you added and or if you add an or or if you added two, yeah, you totally change the meaning of well, that. Well, let's be clear. That phrase, if you're so. in 16th century England and 17th century England and 18th century England, the way that you could monetize the fear is by utilizing right. the superstition that we all inherently have. I'm right. a terribly superstitious person. And then what you could do is you could begin to change the wording to reflect the, the class the because everybody has a certain innate devaluation after they come out of their mother's womb and one of the things that you watch with very rich kids is there's an overvaluation put on them and an under expectation uh, put on the poorer kid and the uh, dynamic between that is the middle people which I think are the middle people sitting at this table right now and we're becoming less and less in this society uh and, and there are more and more obstacles that we see that we need to try to overcome when trying to explain to a kid how not to end a sentence in a preposition without any explanation other than that if you don't end the sentence in a preposition, then someone will think you're educated and you can possibly sell them something. Because our society has gone from an industrialized society where everybody's like, we need to bring jobs back and I keep talking about bringing opportunity back and what that goes into is the servicing of the need when it comes to community so ironically as I have said three or four times that I know if anybody's listening I didn't know what the fire department did so the first thing that I did is when I went and took Carlos and we basically got to know one another I asked him and so I want to ask him for anyone listening what does the fire department do because it's a social good that isn't attached to a religion and that for me is an interesting uh how I make that bridge into this discussion because the reality is, I, do you pray before you go out to save someone's life? Personally or collectively? Wait, what do you mean? Collectively. A man on a clock. Don't do him like that. No, no, no. Collectively. I'm, I'm actually off today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually off today. But um, religion. <laughs> <laughs> I was raised Southern Baptist. And. Um, Throughout my life, I've experienced some things that have sent me one way or the other, mm -hmm. like yourself, when it comes to religion. Um, being black, um, when it comes to religion, when it comes to religion, when it comes to black history, when it comes to my history, everything starts with slavery. February, first thing you hear is black people, slaves, and then everything up to civil rights, everything up to where we are now, voters' rights, the whole nine. Well. 
I've been on this trek because I understand now in life that if there was if there weren't a religion for people to follow, there's no telling what kind of anarchy we'd have on this planet. Some people believe in God, and if they didn't believe in God, they would be horrible people. These things that go, in, go on in folks' head don't necessarily make it out into reality because of that fear in religion. With black people, um, believe in a God, believe it, don't believe everything that was fed to me about God. Um, believe that um, the good in people, the love in people, the philanthropy in people is God. When it comes to firefighting, what do we do? It's easy for me to tell you what we don't do. We, we don't do criminal law. We don't do, um, we don't do what the police do. We get keys out of trees. We put out fire. We do um, EMS calls. Keys out of trees. I was sent out to get keys out of trees. And yeah, we, we do everything. And but you do the hand of God. Some do and the hand. And you're not judging. Some do you the hand of God. You don't stop to wait if that person in that car some, that got hit some, actually is a child molester. Some, some, some. Because my belief is that when that bell rings, someone needs me. And I'm going to answer that call like I would want someone to answer the call if my mom was on the other end of it. So, so That's why the fire department needs to be tied into this religious conversation because the reality is if, if what I'm trying to illustrate in this conversation is I never knew the fire department didn't do criminal type calls, that was the easiest way for you to explain to me if it's criminal, the police show up. But that yes. still doesn't what keep... What do you mean by criminal? I don't understand. If, 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 if there's a domestic disorder, if there's a robbery, if there's a... Um, That's in conjunction with a fire? Period. We, we there doesn't have to be a, a fire for the fire department to show up. We don't just do firefighting. We do fire and rescue. And rescue may be anything from coming up because your water heater has, has sprung a leak and flooding your home, showing up to shut your water off because you don't know to call your service uh, technician. I mean, I know they show up. I, mean, I accidentally set my alarm off. Uh, my husband left out of the house and, and set the alarm off, and uh, everybody showed up at my house within two minutes. But it was yeah. a fire minutes. alarm. It was, no, no, it was the security alarm. alarm. It was my security it's, alarm. It's, it's going to come in to us as a general alarm. And, it, and but everybody send showed police, up. police, fire, and, and, and EMS. But, but we, we do everything but yeah. criminal uh, disputes. Everything. Any emergency that you would think. You said that you had a flood one time, right? Oh, yeah. I had a, and you called 911. I had a sewer back up, and I, like, literally, uh, there was a flash flood on Main Street, and my feet were in. Uh, I, all of the people around me, their sewer, their yeah. raw yeah, sewer, yeah. and I oh, called nine one one. But who did you expect to show up? Well, I didn't. I didn't know who to call. I just called nine one one. And the lady, nine one one. I'm stepping in. Two. I said nine one one. I got flip flops on. I'm staking where I am. I need somebody to come help me. And she goes, "You need to call a plumber, ma'am." And I said, "The toilets are spewing raw sewage. It was going ten feet in the air. It was on the ceiling of the bathroom." But here's what I think is amazing about the tying in uh, to conversation: Is it a requirement that you're a religious person or a spiritual person when you go into uh, fireworks? Religion and politics are out of what we do. We, we, We are in our protocol. We are advised to stay away from politics and religion because. Because there are 411 of us in, that work for the city of Chattanooga, um, there's vast backgrounds and cultures. And so in order to stay away from offending anyone, the biggest thing that, that you can 
talk about is politics and religion. So I think I'm going to belong to the firefighters' religion, which is serve the need and don't ask questions. It feels like that's what you all do. You don't arrive onto a that's site. What I do. Now, I can't speak for everyone. Of, of, of course, to where you're going to have some that love the job and love what they do because they embody everything that that job calls for. You're going to have some to where it's just a check for them. And, that, and that's unfortunate because you have people that even in this area of, of Chattanooga is looked as one of the lower areas or whatever, so they don't get the same service that someone say in Red Bank or Hicks or the East Brainerd. But what I'm establishing here, which is fascinating, is that there is one group of people in this society, which is non-believers, that have the hardest time basically saying that I don't believe in anything. And so what I find is when you talk to people like that, you see this hesitation. In, in, I've been all over the country, and somebody will ask me, what do you believe in as far as your you know, uh, religion? And depending on how much I trust them, I say that I believe in the will of humanity. Yeah, because I, I think well, that I if you do good and you serve the need of others before yourself, then I think you're going to be all right regardless of whether there's a heaven or not. Because I'm not, I'm not looking for the next best thing. I'm looking for right now uh, the attempt is to do better. Yeah, I yeah. call myself a work in progress human being. But what I've always loved about our relationship, Carlos, and then meeting LaQuisha, interestingly enough, with such divine faith and how articulate she is in talking about it, and then some of Andy and I's conversations, I'm still un, unlabeled. I'm not sure what I am. I don't like the word atheist because, like I said, I think that it, back in England, all those business people back in the 1700s and 1800s, they figured out a way to take people's superstition and use it against them in the marketplace. So you, my grandmother, who said the F word all the time up in Irwin, Tennessee, I kind of knew that she probably had a hard time because she, all she did was talk about Jimmy Swagger and how all the things that these <laughs> prosperity funny. preachers rip these people off and they don't do any good for humanity, but there's no transparency in a church. You know, we make sure that there's transparency with 501c3s in this country, but there's no transparency. You can start a, somebody. Churches are 501c3s. They should be if they're legit churches if they're receiving legit churches. funds. And, 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 but is and there transparency? They get audited by the IRS. If you if you are yeah. a legit church collecting funds, you are a faith-based 501c3 organization, and you have to report your filings. So every church, Correct, yeah. every church that is a legit church, um, should be a five hundred one c three. Interesting. So I thought, I also thought <laughs> that like churches that don't pay returns. property taxes. I'm I don't know sure if like I'm right about is, that or not. You're going to have those that, that get in it just for the profit, and 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 I, th I think more now than ever it's, it's more of a saturated uh, deal because you got mm -hmm. so many people that jump into it because there's a profit. You you got people that's, that's struggling to pay their utilities but make sure that they pay their offering and they pull up on the church bus because they, they can't afford to even drive their own car or they even have a car, but the pastor or some of the lead people in that um, organization, they pull up in your, your, your Benzes right, right. So, so there's Cadillacs so, so, and so on and so forth. So let me say this. So there is perverted teachings yeah, yeah. in any institution that exists, okay? Yes. Any institution, there's there's going to be a perverted, and sometimes it's across the board. It's not a subset of perversion. It's like it's been ingrained in the culture of the institution. So 
to say that there's not an institution of perverted teaching in the church would be a lie. There is. But you have to understand if you go back, if you truly understand the belief, I can operate in I operate in corrupt government every day. My entire career, government is corrupt. I will go on record saying that. Does that I mean that I did not <laughs> I'm just saying good. Right. There not. you go. But but can you say that the that the people see this is the thing, Carlos. You sign the back of your check. You don't sign the front of your check. Exactly. So that signature on the front of your check. Can you say that that person isn't? Can you say that the structure that we call it America is not? No, we can't say that. All I can be in control of is me. You said it. You yes. you hit the nail yes. on the head. I am not right. So whatever my driving force is is an individual that keeps me not corrupt in a system of corruption is between me and who I serve, right? And if that and if that's for you, Michelle, if that's you serving well, Michelle, and that's then relig- that's you. I mean, that's well, religion. Th- and that that's, religion. That's, religion. that's religion. I think that what I'm that's trying it. to do... I mean, that's the I, whole I answer. mean, <laughs> you know, most definitely I'm a humanist. Uh, I'm someone that believes that everyone deserves second, third, probably. I mean, I fired a guy. I'm going to fire a guy on Monday. He won't listen to it. Maybe won't listen to it if he unfriends me on Facebook. He will be this. It will be the second time I have fired this young man. Uh, he will no longer have opportunity at my pond come Monday, and he probably uh, won't appreciate the fact that the first time I fired him, I cried. He was the first guy that I ever cried on. Uh, about when I let him go because I knew that this young man's mother was a heroin addict. I knew that she, or a meth addict, I knew that he uh, had seen prostitution at an early age. I knew all the things about him that caused his PTSD, but when you're uh, maneuvering a ship through a pond that you've created and you've got poles out there, and a guy begins to not want to help anybody else put their bait on their pole, I'm going to lead by example. I'm not going to play the superstar if he's causing so much disruption with the other team. I'm so going to yell didn't fire him. He fired himself. That's right. Exactly. He, he said the stage, people, you just played fight, the part. I don't fight any, anyone that... For legal terms, I've had to let go in any job I've had. I let them. I, I, matter of fact, that's one of my big speeches in my welcome to this department. Welcome to, you know, I don't fire people. You fire yourself. If you lose your job, you fired yourself. You lost your because job. Because yeah. basically, these are the things that we're expecting you to do. You do these things. You know, as long as you're doing them, you. it's my job to help train you to do them better if you're not doing them great. But if you're not doing them at all. You actually lost your own job. Like, you got your own self fired. I didn't choose to. I didn't wake up and say, I'm going to fire Michelle today. In this particular instance, with the way that my companies are all structured, this guy is losing opportunity with my pawn on Monday. That is a good way to look at the fact that Andy and I have been in the last two months spending a lot of time looking at different business opportunities that we have coming up that I've been working on really for two years. And interestingly enough, how that ties back into superstition and fear and all the things that go around a marketplace, the one thing that I think is fascinating in this conversation, LaQuisha, and that this may be, 
I'm not asking you to speak for black churches in this community of East Chattanooga, so please don't take this the wrong way that I'm putting you on the spot. I want to have a discussion. Why are there 46 black churches within this uh, building of uh, on, here in East Chattanooga? And it doesn't appear as though there's any fellowship or community happening when I come into this from a business standpoint. It seems like people come back here to pray and go spend their money at Hamilton Place. That's what well, it appears to be. That's because whenever Churchville was constructed, and, and, and this is the area, uh, some of the area of Churchville, um, you, you had a church, I think, on every third or fourth block, and people walked. I've counted. It's 46 pe people in walked one square mile here. To church. But 46 as, churches mm -hmm. yes. in one mile. I can drive around in this area. Yeah. in this area over to Orchard Knob, and I can come back. So I can go from here to um, not Martin Luther King. What's that road to Macaulay? Uh, uh, cool. No, Bailey. 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 So I can go Bailey, and then I can go to 58. So I'm talking about if you do the diameter, one square mile from this building, all the way around this building, I've counted 46. And yet when I count the businesses actually doing business here with the local infrastructure, I see... Nothing. I don't know no, what when, that tells when, me. When those but churches it, were, were built, people walked to church. And as time went on, as technology went on, as, as people made more money, they sought to move away. And, and, and even the ones that were the original residents or whatever, they've passed on and passed the home down or lost the homes to uh, foreclosure or, or whatever. And the, the original residents don't live here anymore, just like this, this strip mall down here uh, on Glass Street. At, in I think my mother-in-law says the uh, 50s and 60s, this was a, a thriving area. You had a theater, you had hat shops, you had ice cream parlors, you had uh, business offices, and so on and so forth. But to look at it now, it's like a ghost town down there. You except know, the, except the road. Except for the road, exactly. But because people moved on, people people saw other places in the city or even out of the city. And time, times change, but the buildings are still here as, as proof that something happened, but the people are gone. But I think, Michelle, is your point that how can there be that concentration of faith and religion and do good and work and local prayers. and prayer? And still have so much blight around the churches. And then say, but I'm not going to do anything here in my community. I'm going to go outside to spend my well, money. And I don't no, okay, so let's let's let's. So one of the other things that I didn't talk about um, that I do is the Black Wall Street tour. So let's talk. Let's go to Tulsa, 1921. We got to put this thing in context, okay? Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1921, Black Wall Street. There was a actual area in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was in the black community. I mean, you're talking about over 300 black-owned businesses. Everything yeah. from doctors to there was actually their own transit system there were you know a few of the tuskegee airmen came back there was at least one charter plane available in that community a dollar circulated 100 times before it left that community the clan burned it to the ground okay and some of the government and and the clan the government was the clan. What are you <laughs> yeah, talking about? 1921, the government yeah. was the clan. So, so the clan burned it to the ground. And so that little economy that was such a thriving area was then struggling to become what it used to be. So let's bring that thing to Chattanooga circa 19th century and look at the economic blight that we see. So we can say, you know, the church in the, in the African-American 
African American community, not African, because my my history when I got taught history, I didn't get taught from slavery. I got taught from from the Native American, like before Columbus, and then what was happening in the Ivory Coast. And then, so by the time you introduced slavery to me, I already knew who I was. I can talk to you as a child at 12 about what the Greek culture had done and the class systems that were created. So probably back then, I probably would have been killed because I'm going to let you know. I would have been Kunta Kinte, my name Toby. Like, because I would have told you that because I knew who I was. But that's not the masses, all right? So neither here nor there. The blights uh, that we're seeing now, like to Mr. Hampton's point, there's, there were all of these businesses on Glass Street. But opportunity left this corridor. Why? Because of gentrification. Let's keep this thing real. When market values go up and down, where are they going down in? They're going down down here by Sandy's Market. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a business person or a business-minded person who's also a religious uh, person that, that is the, the CEO, for lack of a better term, of a church. And I'm trying to, all I can do is go to the food bank and get free food donations to donate food. But anytime I buy a building down here, you know, the value is going to be, it's decreased. There's not gentrification in East Chattanooga. Well, what? There, there, there is and there has been. There has been no well, gentrification in East Chattanooga. Me, this, Why is Boone Height gone? This area started so, out Tell me what's going to happen. Tell me what's going to happen in Boone Height. what's going to happen. All right. This area started out as a Michelle. white community. There's All right. no denial is not a river in Egypt. The only gentrification that has denial happened, is not a river in Egypt. The the only gentrification that has happened in East Chattanooga you said thus there were none. far, if you want to say who it is, is me. <laughs> Truly, me, Francis, and well, so me you're and Francis. East Chattanooga. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm telling you right now that in the 50s, there were white families this servicing. Area was white. Right. There was white okay. families. So, well, who so, gentrified well, it? So, what happened? Who gentrified it? The government so, gentrified it. Okay, but you, I just made a gentrification you made it statement. Seem like it was private gentrification. You didn't no, establish I didn't that say it was that. public. I didn't say anything about private. It, I was talking about the Klan being the government in 1921. That it was government gentrification exactly and isolation together. Listen, the point I'm making is the statement originally was, why is it that there's 46, however many number, I don't know myself, but 46, 47 churches. And, you know, Carlos, to Carlos's point, he talked about the black churches, this being Churchville and the black church, you know, being what it was in the African-American community. Let's look at community, what it is right now. OK, community as it is right now. You're talking about bringing business. Why, what am I going to spend my money on? If I go to church here and, and you know, where am I going to eat? I'm going to eat at the little, little drive-in no, joint down don't here. You walk out I'm, of that church and see that there are buildings that you could easily get for 300 bucks and put a barbecue. Let me tell you something. With this brown face, even though I have the capital that I have, people will say that green is what speaks in America, but I couldn't walk in and get the same loan that you get, Michelle. It does not work like that but all the time. But over here, you don't even need a loan because there's basically I, hardly if any If I come from generational costs. poverty, if I come from, we got to be real with this yeah, thing. Yeah, if I come you, from generational poverty... OK, and that's any person of color. If I come from generational poverty, then no, I ain't got twenty five hundred dollars, let alone twenty five thousand sitting around to invest in a building to, to, to then have to invest another twelve to fifteen thousand to rehab. it. I don't have that. And no one, I may want to. Yeah, no one will loan it. to right. you. No sure. one walking out of these churches that I can see. Let's be clear that are uh, are black 
pretty what looks to be like they have the ability to go back into these communities. Why is no one but me and quite possibly a few other people that happen to be white coming over here? If there's so much economic opportunity in, and there's more middle-class black people in this country, especially in this city now with other things happening, why are black people not coming here? So what makes you think that black people aren't coming here? Because I, I just I saw, I saw, I just saw, I just saw some people feeding some folks. You're talking about black businesses. I'm You're a black business. What? What do you want? Where do you want me to go? You want my business to thrive? Where do you want me to go? Can, can you send me some police department? Can you send me some police? Can you send me a safety plan? Can you send me where I'm going to actually get a return on my investment? Can you say? Can all of the governmental structures be positioned in a way that you know what? As a black business owner, I see, I see the benefit of going to MLK. That's a black area, but I see the benefit. I see no Why black wouldn't you? people on MLK anymore. What? You got Jazanuka. You got Mr. G's that just opened up. You still got Mimos. You got, I mean, there's tons of black. Uncle Chats, Larry. Yeah. Uncle Larry's. Uncle Larry's. You need to go get some hot fish. It's yeah. so good it'll smack you. Lamar's. So, so I've this been is the to thing. Lamar's. I, I know Lamar's because I've, several white spot, people have taken me yeah. there. Lamar's a creep spot. Listen, <laughs> Lamar's a what? What is it? Hey, I'll tell you a story about Lamar's real quick. Somebody, when I was a, hey, I'll tell you a story about Lamar's. Sometime uh, when I first arrived, most people thought that I'd never been around black people and they didn't know that Johnson City is the interracial capital of the world. I like to say that because it is true. It is the interracial capital of the world. I, if you go to Johnson City, there are more interracial couples per capita in Johnson City. They're so nice in Johnson City. I they are. I believe that. People in Johnson City not black, it's white. Like the old buildings. They nice. I'm telling they you. Nice I'm dumb. Why you think I bought real estate there, man? So here's what I'm telling you. This uh, basketball uh, friend of mine was like, hey, let's go to this fraternity party. You know, and I wasn't going to be like, is it black or white? I didn't care, you know. And we get there and I, he, I smell the most putrid smell I have ever smelled in my life going up the stairs next to Lamar's there was a fraternity house right there and I was literally like I looked at my uh friend and I was like two months into China I'd already been arrested for trying to rob a Conoco because the guy I'll tell that story later but my point is <laughs> the chronicles <laughs> the chronicles of Michelle Peters there was this nice lady down at the city who took care of me she facilitated the more plan I guess some more from Lookout Mountain established that you needed to have a second chance I'll tell that later but anyways I was rolling up on this fraternity party and smelling this thing and I was like what is that and she goes they're branding guys in the back and I thought to myself and you know I was 18 I, I have to admit I was probably a little naive and I was like uh, what branding? Branding? Yeah. Like they are branding cattle? Yeah. And she goes, no, they're branding arms in the back. Yeah. And it was the most god-awful smell. So I was like, look, I'm going to this bar next door because I can't stay in this house because it smells so bad that it must be sometimes what people feel like when they arrive on Main Street and they're like, Main Street, the best street in the world. And then the chicken the smell chicken hits street. you and you're like, holy moly, what is that? So... You know, it, and so I went to Lamar's. But it is an interesting thing that you bring up because I don't go to any of those places. What are they? Uncle Larry's. I love, I have to admit, my electrician, uh, Vic, I, he owns Mimos. And I've done business with Vic since 2004. And his family owns that whole strip mall there. Um, but, I mean, all I see is new businesses opening up are white people. Nah. 
You just they're, go, they're, they're, they're yeah. the ones you go to. Come on down a little further. Yeah. Tell, me, tell me the business again, Uncle Larry's. Uncle Larry's, you have the Waffle, Waffle Factory. Factory. I, That's well, black owned. That. Yeah, Waffle okay. Factory is right there it's by hot. that dollar, the, the, the new dollar store on the corner. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the new Conoco? Yeah, there's a new Conoco. You need to And then um, uh, you have Jazzanuga. <laughs> As a matter of fact, tonight from 530 to 10, Jazzanuga is hosting their first open market um, on the side of their building where they have vendors. Um, I don't think they're all African-American. I think that it's, it's just local, uh, locally owned, locally grown stuff, but they're going to host their own. So you don't have to wait till Sunday to go to the Chattanooga market to have access. Um, but they, I know they have um, people there, Divine Purity, Cassandra Turner, who is another black owned business uh, who makes wonderful products, uh, everything from soap to candles to lip gloss. I mean, she makes everything. She's going to be there. There's somebody else that's going to be there selling African collectible art um, gifts. There'll be some other, I mean, there's just tons of vendors but this is Jazzanuga's first time doing this open market right there on MLK uh, from 530 to 10 today so they're they're starting to build up you know kind of this following of what's happening with that whole big nine um, series matter of fact Jazzanuga does a book club um, so for those who, who actually want to read and discuss issues just like this they do a book club I can't tell you what they're reading right now um, the last time I joined them we read Tanisi Coates' Between the World, World and Me which is a great book Uh, wonderful guy that basically sparked a lot of great conversation with people about you know what we're seeing in terms of police brutality education uh, economic development and and things like that so there are things happening uh, my question is who identified MLK and not Glass Street that's my question who identified right who identified MLK who was who was who identified Main Street and who didn't identify Glass Street? And why did they do it? And why did they do it? That's I'd my question. Check, check I mean, I think it would be a fascinating records. thing to know, like, check the property who records. started that process of Follow saying, the money, like hey, we'd really said. like you to do this here. Here. Because I think, coming back to why you said, like, why should someone bring business, you know, the strip mall down the street here on Glass Street, if they're really into business and say, why would I take bigger risk? Compared to say an MLK or somewhere like that, and and why do they associate more risk? <laughs> and, and it might be very well back to the idea of loans and beyond. Like certain areas, you can say, "Hey, I'm putting a business here. I've got market research that says it'll work." Oh, okay. When you take, you know, up the street, there is no, there's very little market research to go from to say, "Here is the kind of traffic we will get here." For you to loan me that money. And can we, and you know, can can we truly build it? Like, I mean, I'm 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 to that end, Andy. I believe that you know, I believe that this is a thriving area. Like, I see because I'm an investor, I see what is not here, right? So before uh, Till and those guys came over on Glass Street, um, before Archway became Archway, and when it was still Glasshouse Collective Building, I like I saw kind of what was happening in this area and what it could be, even though there were so many dilapidated buildings, right? It was like, man, like if, if you could get four, four, in the, yeah. four more buildings of this, of this size, not, you know, the little buildings that are being renovated or the little storefronts, but four major buildings rehauled and purposed and programmed, then this whole little block will explode into something. And I thought we were on a cusp of something. Um, and then I don't know what happened. I, don't, so, I, I think that, um, and, and I've said this for a while, I worked at the fire hall around the corner and, um, 
they rebuilt that fire hall and opened it in 2009. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, that I saw that sparked downtown or was going on when downtown was sparked was two things. They put that school on the corner of Market and Main, and they built that fire hall right there on Main Street, two blocks up. Right. If you notice, here in East Chattanooga, the fire hall was opened in 2009, and Hardy Elementary is a brand new school. Right. It just opened a few years before the fire hall was, was put in service. Now, hold on a second. Let me interject that. What year was that, Carlos? Can you, can you give me the time frame? Because I was on Main Street in 1996. Uh, 96. I, uh, I joined the fire department in 98. And uh, toward the end of 98 was when I was working at the old number one station, which was up on West ML King and Camden on the corner, across from what used to be Zares, which was the Blue Cross building back, Remember, back then. Remember, I'm not from here, so I don't know. But, uh, okay. Well, what but year it, was it? That was 98, you, 99. <laughs> so you think 98, 99, let's just follow the uh, lead here. 98, 99, you get a fire hall and you get a school. It wasn't built yet. They brought the plans to the fire hall to talk to the guys about to see what the plans were. So I'm going to tell you. But early 2000s is when that fire hall was put there, and everything kind of grew up along with that fire hall. So I'm going to tell you two theories of mine. And I don't know if anybody from Lookout Mountain ever, ever listened to this. And, and if they listen, if Rick Montague ever listens to this, I would love for him to come down and give me if, if I'm right about this. Because I was really good friends with his brother, Will Montague. Um, Will called me ammonia. It brings me tears because I loved him more than I can explain because he was 30 years older than me and we spent a lot of time together. And so what I can tell you that I think my theory behind the new school and the quote-unquote gentrification of Main Street and how that went down, there were probably some negatives and positives. But what I will definitely tell you was the catalyst for our culture uh, and our community coming into the foodie network is that the Van Cleves and Alice Montague, who is now Alice Smith, who is maiden name is Alice Lupton, uh, they paired up. The Van Cleves and Alice Lupton paired up and opened a restaurant called the Southside Grill. When they opened that restaurant, I, I can remember in 90... 394 sometime around that will was sitting there and we were drinking a scotch at his house and he was making fun of the fact that they were opening a restaurant and that his brother rick had bought property on william street and then he began to tell me how his brother his uh nephew bought property on william street in 96 97 and was redoing one of the top floors so that was the moment the meetings were being held back then that's but I don't think, the funny thing is, I don't think these families talk to one another because I was sitting there with Will and I was like, I mean, the Southside's Grill was great because my best friend at the time that had worked in the restaurant as a chef, Chip Mercer, God rest his soul, was one of the best chefs I've ever met. He was the kindest, heartedest man ever. And what I can tell you is that catalyst, he, I, we were, I was talking about this the other day. Let me give you the people that worked at the Southside Grill. Uh, Nathan, uh, Nathan Lindley, who owns Public House and Primo, uh, worked at the Southside Grill. At the same time, you had uh, Amanda Neal and Eric Neal working at the Southside Grill during some portion of that. They own Easy Bistro and now own Main Street Meats. Um, you had... Um, the meetings were being held. It wasn't Southside a meeting, though. Grill. What basically... When, no, no, the meetings... But what I think basically what happened, what was interesting to us, is those guys proved that they could take a risk in an old antique building 
in an area where they, this is my theory. Nah. You can disagree with me all you Calculated. want. You ever read that movie? But hold on a second. No, but hold on a second. Old South, New Money. Old I, Money, New South. I know, I know. And that will, they all talked about it. But here's what I'll tell you. <laughs> it was a risk for them. I don't care who you are. It was a risk. Maybe if you don't care about losing money, but I don't give a hell how much money. People are not like me. I'll risk money and be willing to lose it because I know I'm going to be okay no matter whether I got 50 cents in the bank or I owe 500000 What I will tell you is that when you went to the Southside Grill back in the 90s, it, I, I bought a, hamburger, a cheeseburger there for every homeless person that came by. There was nothing but homeless and vagrant people all around that Southside area. Those people Where were, did they go? I know where they went, but what they I'm saying is those burgers they became vegans. I, I no, but what right. I, what so I'm what saying happened? to you though is those people took a risk with their money in an area that no one would have thought. Well, I, so, think, it, I think it's a calculated uh, risk. It's calculated risk, and, and they I, had the money to to to, to, to and, blow on it. You know, going That's back not to what, true though. Those but, people but, don't but, think but, like but, that. But big, big picture, I think it goes back to what your biggest belief is: is insurance. The reason that fire hall was put down there, the reason that school was put on, on that corner is insurance. The reason <laughs> that fire hall was put over here, the reason that new school's right there, the reason Boone Heights torn down is insurance. ISO. All of this used to be all white. The justification was that whenever black people started to make it a little bit and wanted to buy homes because they ran the interstate through here, thanks to Eisenhower, they pulled them out of downtown, which was the old west side, which was where the old fire hall was, and they ran them this way, which was county. And whenever that fire hall that's on the corner of Bragg and Dotson, or Curtis and Dotson now, was on the corner of Dotson and but Glass. How do you run people, Carlos? Explain to me how people I'm run not it, running no people, matter what anybody people, does. People today. run this city. And when moves are made, it's calculated how you cattle people. It's called yeah. social engineering. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the it's thing calculated. Paul, is I don't know anyone, but yet I knew those two people. I know money follows money. I knew success yeah. follows success. Say that and those again. two people say that, that worked again. there. Say that, say that first phrase. But I didn't have any money, but though. But those two people that worked there had enough insight to be owners now. They worked there, but now they own some of the most prevalent restaurants in this city right now. But they watched the process, and I think what you said they earlier were at the meetings. Is, is they, that they overheard they the meeting. The movie, and the thing man, is, they overheard. They serving. They, they, they overheard. Guess what I heard food. today? Guess what I heard? They, they did not have they meetings. meetings. They had to have had meetings. They did not. Well, so, here's so the thing. I don't think they needed meetings. You just have to watch. There are no meetings. It's a coincidence. Those people barely talk to their family members. Don't have to talk. You have to watch. Now own some of the nicest restaurants in the city. It's a coincidence. And let me tell you why. Why? Because the reality is that those people took a risk and a calculated risk. And what I'm telling you is until we get down to the fact that you've got to take a risk in this society to be able to make something happen. I'm the last happen. one to pull this out, but did anyone black work down there? Uh, probably maybe as a dishwasher. Do they own a business in this city? I get what you're saying. Let me ask you a question. Is the, is the risk that you're speaking of, is the risk in your opinion, lessened or increased by access to information, wealth, resources, and networks? Is the risk... Resources that's a yes or no. You missed the word that's there. You missed the word there. I think the risk is mitigated through their understanding of our society and through I their own the observation. And it's going to be riskier city. for me than it is for you. And I understand it thoroughly. I'm telling you right city, now. I'm understanding this city, this, this city, and if you ask anybody old around here, they'll tell you the same thing. It's been said over and over again. Chattanooga's the hub of some of your Nashvilles, your Atlanta, your Knoxville, your Birmingham, your Huntsville. And this city was said to be what Atlanta is today. 
But the families, the four, five, six families that run this city, that have run this city, didn't want big, big time to come in or whatever because they would have to share the profits. I disagree with that right now. I don't Do disagree you? with it 20 years ago because well, you've right, got right, opportunity in this right city now. right now. Michelle, where's your company office? Michelle, where's your company office? Give me the address to your Chattanooga office. Uh, right. Where's LaQuisha's company <laughs> office? Uh, I don't have a Chattanooga address. You know why? Because although the, the, the demographic has changed in terms of who no longer is at the table, who no longer gets privy information, the access is still the same. If I give you the rubber stamp, you become approved, you thrive, you find yourself on the Fortune 500, on Inc. Magazine, Fast Company, people are writing editorials about you, you are it on a stick. But if yeah. I don't give it, it's, see, before it was a racial thing and a class thing. Now it's, it's class, it's race, it's gender, it's all kinds of things. But the reality is still the same. Until you and I can give a Chattanooga address, then the dynamic is still the same. They just change the but players. There's a, hold on a second. There's a building down the street on Main Street right now owned by a gay man. I guess his name is Chuck. I've never met Chuck, but what I do know is I know Chuck, Chuck's. I know that Chuck's just went under contract for $2.1 million. And I will, will, will agree with you. 20 years ago, it was what it was. But, but you but, had but opportunity now, to buy Chucks. Twenty opportunity to buy Chucks? Anybody had opportunity to buy anywhere near Chucks 20 years ago? Because it's by the chicken house. Well, that's... <laughs> oh, God. They've proven that you don't have to move the chicken house. Some developer right now is buying it for $2.1 you know Have you seen the new Miller renovations? Do you see what's getting ready to happen to Miller Park? Yeah. The recommended. Yeah, yeah, okay, the, I have the uh, blueprint. The have you? I mean, I have the blueprint. I, you know, the, the mayor sat there and presented to a board, and I was on, and I looked at what they're getting ready to do. So this is the thing: who gets to decide? Back to the original question: what becomes the next it place? Because the next next it place will then become the next corridor for where the next new business uh, phenomenon will pop up. Which, My question is: who decided that this wasn't the area? Yeah. And it's who not as engineered who, as you think. Who though? said MLK? Who said M? It's and not as engineered as you think. It's the fact that you left off the word observation, and so we will talk about observational opportunities. I can't, I can't observe if I'm ne if I didn't know. See, this is the thing. But we got to stop talking about people being blind and led somewhere because it's their responsibility now. Everybody's responsibility: black, white, gay, but straight, if you don't know no male, better, how female. Do you do better? If you hadn't been raised, yeah. just, just like I, I told you a while ago, I was raised to get up and go to work. So this whole thing three years ago, teach, learning with two wheels towing, the entrepreneurial side that, that I had, that didn't know I had, I wasn't raised to be an owner. I was raised to get up and go to work. Which so, is, so if, if, if I can't do anything. You were raised to be an owner. If, you were raised. If I can't do anything else right, I can go to work. But now this two wheels towing thing has showed me a whole different side of myself that I'm really loving about me because it's fulfilling. I make $65,000 a year working for the Chattanooga Fire Department. But now... Then that was good money to me. But now my question is, if I'm making $65,000 from the Chattanooga Fire Department, how much is the Chattanooga Fire Department making off me? Woo! <laughs> well, and, and Pass it, the offering plate. We started in church, we but, ended but, in church. But, 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 <laughs> but with hey. two wheels towing. But with two wheels towing. Hey, you got to say bye, you just can't leave the mic. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I got hey, the church finger up. I got to go. I got to go too. Bye, so bye. it's the end. We'll end on that. We began with church. We'll end in church. God bless. Happy, <laughs> happy Friday. Hey, uh, Great stuff. Great stuff.